Welcome to The Brand Workout, the podcast where health and fitness leaders share their secrets with me, Anthony Tatum. I'm CEO at Big Cat, the behavior science marketing agency. If you want to give your health brand a kick up the glutes, this is the podcast to spark business changing ideas. In this episode, I'm speaking with Gareth Walsh, an accomplished sales leader in the medtech space and medical device industry. Gareth will be talking about moving from working in large corporates to a medtech startup. He'll be sharing his approach to developing go-to-market and customer strategies and about his exciting new role. Hi, Gareth. Welcome to the show. Hi, Anthony, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me on the show and certainly looking forward to our discussions. I'd like to start with your early career. So how did you get into the medtech industry? So I've been in the medtech industry for 24 years now. Currently, I'm actually working independently, doing some consultancy work for a couple of organisations, um, both startups. Um, but if I if I reflect back 20 to the start of my career 24 years ago, there's a lot of things that I still think are really important that I learned in the, those early days that I carry through today. I always knew that I wanted to deal with people in terms of a commercial world and I always knew I wanted to be involved in healthcare because I find it fascinating the science the technology the obviously the impact they can have on these patients and one of the things that I learned very early on in my career is how much enjoyment I got out of changing clinical practice by introducing new technology into hospitals and and clinics and also um, the impact that 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 then has on the patient so if you like I learned that sort of patient uh, advocacy quite early on in my career and I also learned about you know customer experience customer delight all of that sort of things did you have a mentor or anyone else who was a big influence on you in those early days yeah I think I think I know this this might sound a little bit twee but ultimately one of the big influences at that point in my life when I went into a career and it was my dad that influenced me if I'm perfectly honest early on in my career as he reminded me several times in the early days he actually found me the job uh, and uh, he didn't apply for it (laughs) I I did that part Um, but um, he found me the job and he'd always taught me the value of working hard but smart Um, not just you know burning the candle at at both ends and and working hard. And he was a real influence on me, um, both personally and professionally, um, and definitely, I think, helped me in those early days of sort of transitioning from being ultimately a lazy student into a a hardworking and career-driven individual in the medtech world. I worked throughout my career. I I was working for Olympus, um, who are, are you know largely known for their cameras, but that we're talking about really their camera technology in in the medtech space, which is their much bigger part of the organisation from a revenue and profit perspective. And um, I always worked either directly for or one line manager away from a guy called Nick Williams, who was a role model for me from a, if you like from a professional perspective. Um, he was somebody I looked up to because he was always incredibly knowledgeable about the procedures, the equipment, and he was an incredibly good salesperson. Um, but he also um, always really made sure he understood the latest and greatest procedures and uh, how basically different technologies could assist 
customers and ultimately deliver better patient care. Do you think your background in science and biology and then going into the field of sales helped in your early career? For sure. Um, I think that, you know, if you like that science, scientific understanding, the anatomy and physiology, which is obviously underpins everything that you're that when you're bringing medical devices into the market or even pharm- pharmaceuticals, um, although I've always stuck to the medical device side of things, is, is hugely important. Your understanding, not just about the impact on the patient, it's also that, uh, if you like, the, the physics in particular around the equipment and how the equipment works and the impact it then has on the human body and, and how that's beneficial to, to those patients. I'm really interested to know about your fascination with startups. Where did that come from? So as I mentioned earlier, I, I worked for Olympus and I worked for Olympus. I was, I was pretty unusual in that, I think in this day and age, in that I worked for Olympus for 22 years, not in the same role, worked in, in gradually more senior roles, different responsibilities, different geographies, etc. And I, well, I learned so much over the, over those 22 years. And I got to a point in what at the start of 2018 where I was mid 40s, maybe I was having a bit of a midlife crisis, I don't know. But I really wanted to go and, and dip my toe in the water of the startup environment. I've always found it fascinating. Generally, I think in medtech, when you talk startups, often they're bringing real game-changing technology to the market, something that uh, has never maybe been done before. And, and I, because I'm so fascinated by the technology, that really appealed to me. And, and ultimately, you, it's not a well-trodden path. You're going to make a lot of mistakes in a startup. As long as you're making more good decisions and, and the, the mistakes and the traction is heading in the right direction, I think it's fine. So that's what I wanted to do. I really wanted to challenge myself, and I felt that a startup environment would bring me those challenges. I'd like to talk about your experience of working with entrepreneurial scientists and, and also the in entrepreneurial traits that you brought from working in big corporates and how they can be applied to startups and scale-ups. Interestingly, I track back my, the more entrepreneurial aspect of what I do to my very early days with the company because although I worked for Olympus I worked in a division that was actually uh, responsible for distributing a separate product range that was not the Olympus product range so from an employment perspective I was employed by Olympus but actually I wasn't selling Olympus equipment in the very early days and it was into an environment that was dominated by the the big um, radiology companies, the likes of Siemens, Philips, um, GE, as an example, and we were this. We had this Japanese uh, ultrasound product that uh, a company called Aloka. They subsequently been acquired, and um, and they were they were they had a lowish market share, and we were quite we were lucky that we worked in a part of Olympus in the UK where they allowed you to try different things different approaches, which, which, if you like, gave me that sense of being able to achieve things from an entrepreneurial perspective. And then, you know, I didn't really test it out properly, if I'm honest, really until March 2019, when I joined um, a company called Creo, who are in the 
endoscopy space, but minimally invasive endoscopy, therapeutic endoscopy. They were bringing new tech into the market um, and, you know, obviously looking to gain uh, uh, success from a global perspective, not just, not just in UK or even just in Europe. I think you've got to be prepared, number one, if I was to give any word of advice to anybody who was thinking of taking the the jump from big corporate or even you know re- medium-sized corporate into a startup environment, is you've got to be prepared to roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty. Um, it's often quoted, but not everybody wants to do that, particularly if they've had 20 plus years kind of in the sort of warm cocoon of, of, a, of a corporate of corporate life I'm not saying it's all easy corporate life there's other challenges but you you have lots of resource around you lots of infrastructure um, lots of colleagues to bounce ideas off and all of a sudden you're thrown into this melting pot where one day you might be defining the five-year strategy and then the next day you're literally wheeling equipment into um, a hospital getting it set up supporting the the clinician with their first case with this new device so that's the kind of so you you constantly are going from strategic to operational operational to strategic and that blend is really important actually it's one of the for me it's one of the um real um positives of being in a startup environment because i like that blend of both where you, because because you you feel like you're really creating value all the time when you when you're doing stuff like that so i think that that was that's something that i would give people advice on and certainly that was was working for me um you've got to be incredibly resilient um because you're going to get a lot of rejection um either from customers because you're not well known enough and you want somebody to give you a chance but sometimes you know they're they're busy busy people these customers and they don't you know perhaps haven't got the time to to give to you so you're going to get rejection you're going to get rejection maybe from investors at times um when you need investment so there's a lot of you've got to have you've got to be able to pick yourself up dust yourself down learn move on I think I'd find it incredibly difficult to work in a startup where I wasn't pa- really, really passionate about the technology and the impact it was having because you are living and breathing it. You feel like you're part of, you're, you're part of the story and the, the, the book has yet to be written. You're, you're, some of the chapters may have already been written, but you're hoping that there's gonna, you know, you're going to uh, steer the organisation to the point where the, there is a happy ending. With, in the story and everybody lives happily ever after um, but you don't always know there's twists and turns like any good novel um, and I think that's really important that you that you can remain passionate about it and ground yourself when you've had a bit of a, a you know a, a day where things haven't quite gone to plan but I think that really comes as a result of growing and, and developing and coming up through the sales ranks when we when we last spoke, you talked about your go-to-market strategy and how that was a key area of focus in the first instance. There's some fundamentals that probably are true across the board in terms of the things you need to be focused on. For me, I, I split it into three pillars. So first is, what's the channel strategy? Are you going to go direct? Are you going to go through distributors? Are you clear on what your addressable market is? And if you're not, then make sure you are because you don't want to do 
the classic of the scattergun approach. You need to be really targeted in your in your approach. What else from a channel management perspective? What is your value position proposition? Is it clear to all the all the if you like different segments, not just to the end user, but also to the you know the finance guy that's going to sign off the requisition? Is the value proposition clear? Are you closely enough aligned with different societies, purchasing groups? How are you managing, you know, your key opinion leaders or your early adopters? All of those things, I think, are in the melting pot when you're looking at channel strategy. And then the second thing, and I've, and it's a real, I'm not saying channel strategy isn't a passion of mine, but if if there was one area that I would put above anything else from a passion perspective, it's customer strategy. How are you going to differentiate yourself? You might not have any competition because you're bringing a completely new solution to the market. But you, you think you don't have any competition from maybe a technology perspective, but you've got competition in terms of their time. So how are you going to be able to grab more of their time than another organization that is not selling something against you, but is basically competing for their time? Um, I think there's some interesting stuff around that you know, competition for customer time. So you've got to think about how you're going to differentiate yourself. So... You know, how can you push satisfaction levels up to the highest levels? Your staff that are working for you need to be the best in terms of the knowledge that they have and the, if you like, that consultative approach to dealing with them. You know, how available are you going to be? What resources are you going to give to your customers online, offline, face-to-face, whatever it is? How accessible is that information? How are you going to support them uh, on their customer journey? All of those things, I think, are really important in defining a customer strategy. And you need to measure it. So you need to look at things like net promoter scores, customer satisfaction levels. And then last but not least, from a medtech perspective, is the patient strategy, which is the area that I think is the most interesting in terms of this. that's expected now, uh, that you engage directly with the patients. There's so much information that's available to these patients. So why not help them on their journey and support them? It's those three elements that I, I think are the key elements to, or the key factors in, in being successful in your go-to-market strategy. How would you describe your style of leadership? I think it's true to say that the leaders of today are very different to the leaders of 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I think you've got to evolve as a leader. And I think I have over the over a period of time, I think I was definitely quite a hard taskmaster in my early days because I was had this kind of, we talked about the work-life balance, didn't have it quite right. I've definitely learned that you, that actually the best leaders are those who, I think, I think leading by example is important, but not to the point where you're taking over ownership of t- two things. I think that's a dangerous thing. I think you need to be careful that you allow individuals to take ownership and deliver. And they might not do it in exactly the same way as you would do, but it doesn't really matter if they get to the end goal and they do it on time. So I, I, I've learned to become, if you like, a, a more supportive leader, always, but still leading by example. And I think that's really important in startup that you do lead by example. And the final thing I would say is I'm a big believer in celebrating success. I think it often forgotten about a small thank you on an email. Even something as little as that can make a world of difference. I did it just, just this week and, and I'm work, as I say, I'm working on a consultancy basis, so I'm not 
employing anybody but I reached out to the client and I just uh, uh, one of the more junior members of this particular client and I just said great job fantastic clear communication it's what I felt so why not communicate it to her and and she was really appreciative of it and I think that's what what's important convincing people to do something isn't easy the problem is that most of us have no idea what works We don't know the science behind the brand that captures attention or the charity slogan that persuades or even the sales technique that's proven to win. But it doesn't have to be that way. Consumer psychologists have spent hundreds of years analysing how the brain works and now we finally know how people make decisions. Listen to Nudge to understand the science behind consumers and learn simple, actionable tips that you can use to improve the work you do. You'll hear from authors and researchers about the best advertising campaigns, the smartest website design, and the most compelling sales pitches. So come and check out Nudge, the consumer psychology podcast. I'd like to go back to the topic of working with founders and scientists. What's it like working with these very analytical, clearly very talented people who who are arguably not the best at business? Yeah, I think I I wouldn't claim at this stage I'm an expert in this area. If I, if I take a step back to, to Creo for a second, um, the driving force behind that company, from my perspective, was the one of the key f- the founders, um, the the basically the chief technology officer, and I, I was f- constantly fascinated by his huge intellect and ability to kind of come up with these ideas and genuinely all he cared about was developing technology so that it could make a difference to patients he was so excited by the thought that potentially there was a product that they were that that is being um, brought into the market to help treat lung cancer and it's you know still one of the biggest killers in, in, in from a cancer perspective and the the treatment options aren't great in in many circumstances and, and can be hugely invas- invasive and debilitating and he just wanted he was desperate to get this product into the market because he knew the impact it could have even if it was one patient that was that was his philosophy i used to work with a guy um mm, going back many many years and he was a nightmare to deal with but I, he's still one of my closest friends personally professionally right now and I remember saying to him keep coming up with the ideas but he would come to me literally with 10 ideas every week nine of them were, were completely bananas but you know what one of them was fantastic so that's that to me is is you know is still important. The fact that nine of them weren't well thought through is not relevant to me. One was good and had something about it, and that makes life interesting and work interesting. So I think it's it's being able to harness that, if you like, entrepreneurial spirit from a technology perspective together with commercial realism. Are you seeing any interesting innovations in medtech and what innovations are you seeing coming down the line in 2021, 22 that are going to have a, a big impact on the industry? So uh, the, the, the great thing about being a consultant is that you have a little bit more time to kind of scan, do a bit of sort of horizon scanning in the market. And so I've had definitely had more time around that just recently. And I think 
there's a couple of areas that I'd sort of pick up on. Firstly, from a tech perspective, as in tech being introduced into the market rather than uh, tech supporting organisations to be more efficient, whatever else. I'll come back to that because it's it's still an important point. So I've been spending quite a lot of time trying to learn, you know, what tools are there to make sales forces more effective because they're going to, field-based sales forces are going to be much smaller in the future. And therefore, the tools that you need to have for sales people to engage digitally, remotely, are going to need to be really top-notch to, to basically be able to differentiate. So you're starting your new role in spring. What can you tell me about that? I'm in this stage where I'm speaking to the chief commercial officer, so I'll, I'll be responsible for Europe, Middle East and Africa from a commercial perspective. And Europe, Middle East and Africa will be the first market for them, which is principally to do with regulatory approval. It's a little bit easier, or it was a little bit easier to get medical devices into into Europe. Um, actually, it's becoming more difficult um, with new regulations. But Europe, Middle East and Africa will be stop number one for for a cure. And I mean, from a, from a go-to-market strategy perspective, we've kind of covered that off in terms of that's I've already I've already got a one pager. It's a it's a big one pager. It's an A3 piece of paper, uh, small text to fit it all on. Um, but uh, so I'm very clear about what I need to deliver. I've already been speaking to the chief commercial officer around what the commercial build out looks like from a revenue installation perspective, expectations by market, all this sort of stuff. I think the challenge will be, you know, if I was doing this two years ago, I would have been very much reliant on that face-to-face contact. And that's going to be the biggest challenge is we're bringing new technology into the market. So this is, you know, this is different game-changing technology. We need to make sure that we can have a medium that explains that technology well and the impact that it's going to have for the patients and ultimately these these clinics and I think that will be the biggest challenge I think if you're established and you're having to refine if you like your sales tools to help your sales force I think that's that's still difficult but much easier because they're already established I think that'll be a a quite a significant challenge and then the other challenges are just you're not known you're having to do things sometimes on a little bit of a shoestring I mean not literally and you've got a lot of work to do there's an awful lot of work to do uh, but there's lots of opportunity there really is I mean the the prevalence of acne uh, I think in general increasing the there's more of an awareness if, if you like the mental health effects uh, as well as I think people are more more mindful of that generally in all sorts of areas and I think that's a a particularly uh, vivid element of of, of the for these sufferers and I think uh, getting that right and 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 providing something that's a durable solution for these patients will be really important but uh, yeah there's a lot of work to do um, but it's hugely exciting it really it really is and and ultimately it could make a real difference to to these patients Thanks, Gareth. I'm really inspired by Gareth's passion for the science and technology of healthcare. His clear articulation of the complexity of developing a go-to-market strategy and drive to focus medical technology on patient outcomes is really fantastic. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Brand Workout, then please do leave a review. 
it really does help people find the show. And don't forget to subscribe to get the next episode straight into your inbox. The Brand Workout will be back in two weeks to share more secrets, insights and ideas that will change your health and fitness brand for the better. For questions, feedback or suggestions on future topics, please email podcast at thebrandworkout.co.uk. 